Hello and welcome to Theology and Coffee, the podcast that gives you bite-sized theology for life on the go. From creeds, catechisms, church fathers to biblical theology, this podcast is the one-stop shop to get you more literate when it comes to understanding God, the meaning of life and the universe. Your host will sometimes be me, Chris Wickland, and sometimes my wife, Tracy Wickland. So get the kettle on, pour your favourite brew, get your Bible and your notebook out, and let's do Theology and Coffee. Hello and welcome to Coffee and Theology with me, Chris Wickland. Hope you're all well out there. I need to change the ident because it says Theology and Coffee. uh, It should be the other way around, Coffee and Theology, but there we go. So last time when I spoke, I spoke about the concept of I believe, which is basically how man is not essentially a religious being and how he is encouraged using his own faculties to reach out and try to find God. But today we are looking at how God comes to meet man. So just to clarify, by intelligence and natural reasoning, man can potentially come to an intellectual understanding that there is actually a creator God. However, man needs divine revelation from God to enable man to come to the truth of the one true God. Otherwise, he might just believe in any old thing. So here through an utterly free decision, God reveals himself and gives himself to man. And this he does through the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, and via his Holy Spirit. You see, God's will is that mankind should have access to the Father through Christ, the Word made flesh, in the Holy Spirit, and enable us to become partakers of God's own divine nature. So for some scriptures on that, see Ephesians 1, 9, 2, 18, and 2 Peter 1, verse 4. God wants to communicate excuse me, his own divine life to mankind uh, whom he created in order to adopt them as his sons and daughters via and through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Thus, in God revealing himself, he thus wants to make man capable of responding to him and knowing him and loving him far beyond his own natural capacity. That's the natural capacity of man. So God has in history revealed himself gradually through various covenants and we can see this throughout her old testament eventually until his son jesus appeared in the flesh for the ultimate revelation of himself to mankind through his son so after the fall of man god chose in his good nature his love his kindness and his providence to provide man a way back to intimacy with him through various ways, including covenants with certain individuals. So after the fall, we have the Noahic covenant that led to the Abrahamic covenant, led to the Mosaic, then to the Davidic, right up to the Messianic covenant in which God himself mediated through his own son, Jesus Christ, this new covenant. The Noahic covenant, there's a little bit of history here, remained in force during the times of the Gentiles until the universal proclamation of the gospel of Christ. But basically, God made a covenant with Noah. Now, Noah wasn't Jewish, okay? So this is not a Jewish covenant. This is a covenant that was for basically all Gentiles uh, as well. And uh, if they uh, abided by certain stipulations, then, you know, that's, that was all well and good. And so then that led, led, led us to the Abrahamic covenant. In, in order to gather together, scatter humanity after the fall of Babel, God uses Abraham from his own people and renames him Abraham to become the father of a multitude of nations, both the Jewish and the Gentiles. 
uh, see Genesis 17, 5, 12, verse 3, and Galatians 3, 8. Now, I could go into a lot of detail here because these are, these are very ar- overarching comments. Remember, this is coffee and theology, not a three-course meal in theology. So I'm not having the time to go into all the details and pull it apart and, and maybe explain some of the statements I'm saying here. These are overarching statements that are theologically loaded and you can trust are true. Okay, so the people, let's move on. The people who descended from Abraham, i.e. the Jewish nation, would be the trustees of the promise made to the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the chosen people to prepare uh, for that day when God would gather all his children into the unity of the one new man in Jesus Christ. And so the Jewish race was God's appointed special people uh, and trustees of this covenant until the revealing of the Messiah when finally the Abrahamic covenant, which was God would bless both the Jews and the Gentiles, would happen through Christ. Um, so moving back a little bit, so you, after the Abrahamic covenant, you then have the Mosaic covenant. And this is where God formed Israel as his people by freeing them from slavery in Egypt. And he established with them the Sinaitic covenant through Moses, aka the Mosaic covenant. And through the giving of the Torah, that's the law, the Jewish people would serve and love the one true God and prophetically look ahead to the promised Messiah King to come. Israel then becomes the priestly people of God. See Deuteronomy 28 and Exodus 19.6. Later through the prophets, God forms his people in the hope of salvation, in the expectation of a new and everlasting covenant intended for all people good example of that is in jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 onwards and through the coming eternal king of the davidic line which would be jesus the messiah now finally christ the promised savior arrives hallelujah and he then becomes the mediator of the new covenant and becomes the fullness of all revelation pertaining to god and his plan of salvation for all humanity. So basically we have the fall in the garden. And then God throughout history is gradually revealing his plan of salvation for humanity. That's the purpose of these covenants. It's, it's a gradual revelation until we get to Christ, which is a full revelation. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 2 says, In many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, who is fully God, took on human flesh and became the God-man. Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's not a hybrid being, because if he were, then he would neither be fully God nor fully human, and therefore would not be a sufficient sacrifice to mediate between God and man. Thus he had to have two separate natures, fully God and fully man and a big word for the day that is called the hypostatic union or the hypostasis of christ where you have two natures sharing the same space and time but those two natures don't blend or merge into each other so jesus's divinity uh, him being god never merged with his flesh and his flesh never merged with his divinity because if he if he did he would be less than god and more than human and he becomes on a kind of demigod which means he could never never truly in be the intermediary uh, the intermediary sorry between god and man because he's not really god anymore and he's not really human either so that's why it's important that we understand that jesus is fully god and fully man so 
Jesus is the word of the Father. He is the exact image, likeness and icon, as it says in the Greek, of God the Father. And if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Uh, scriptures, John 1.14, Hebrews 1.3, John 14.9. A quote here, uh, St. John of the Cross has to say this of Jesus, who is the word of God. In giving us his son, his only word, he spoke everything to us at once in this sole word, and he has no more to say, because what he spoke before to the prophets in parts, he has now spoken all at once by giving us the all who is his son. Now, because Jesus is the instigator and mediator of the new covenant that will never be superseded or pass away, therefore no public revelation is to be expected, or sorry, no new public revelation is to be expected before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, however, although the revelation is complete, it still remains for the Christian church to grasp that revelation in its full significance over the course of time and the ages. Now, although the fullness of God's revelation is complete, this in no way means there's no more prophecy. So, because true prophecy should be revealing God's heart, will and intention, but based on that full revelation of God through his son, which has already been revealed. So throughout the ages, there have been so-called private or prophetic revelations, some of which have been recognized by the church throughout history as potentially legitimate. However, they do not belong to the deposit of faith. And I'll clarify what that means. The deposit of faith being the scriptures. And it needs to be said here, uh, said here that some denominations, uh, their deposit of faith is scripture. But in other, organ uh, not organizations, other denominations, sorry, they uh, recognize the deposit of faith being the scripture and apostolic tradition of the early church fathers. So Christians must not accept revelations that claim to surpass or correct the revelation of which Christ is the fulfillment, as is the case in certain non-Christian religions and also various sects which base their teachings on these so-called revelations. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm not going to mention any names, I'm going to get into trouble. So, in conclusion, by love, God has of his own good pleasure revealed himself to mankind. God has historically revealed himself to man gradually through various covenants in the Old Testament scriptures. God has revealed himself fully by sending his own son in whom he has established an everlasting covenant. As the Son is the definitive word of the Father, there is therefore now no further revelation after him. Well, that was a lot to get your head around. You might need to listen to this episode a few times. I know it was quite quite heavy, some of that stuff there, but, but it's quite basic. You just got general revelation of God gradually revealing his, his plan of salvation from the fall through those various different covenants until eventually we come to the ultimate revealing of Christ himself, which he ushers in the new covenant, which is a covenant that will not be superseded, at least uh, that we know of this side of eternity. And, uh, and that's where we're up to now. So... Hopefully you've enjoyed that uh, today. And now it's time for Weird Facts in Church History. A Pope's corpse was exhumed and put on trial at the Cadaver Synod. Distrustful of Emperor Guy III of Spoleto and his son Lambert, Pope Formosus uh, crowned Arnulf of Carinthia as a lawful emperor. 
and Formosus would later convince Arnulf to attack Lambert in battle, but Arnulf failed. And soon after this, Pope Formosus died, leaving Lambert to rule single-handedly. Lambert then forced Pope Stephen VI to accuse his predecessor of political treason. The Cadaver Synod was thus convened, and in January 897, the corpse of Pope Formosus was exhumed from the Vatican graveyard, vested in papal regalia, <laughs> and put on trial at St. John Lateran's Basilica. Not surprisingly, he was found guilty on all accounts, and parts of his remains were dumped unceremoniously into the Tiber River. <laughs> oh dear. Well, that's all we got time for. If you've got any comments or questions, please email us admin at lwcn.uk. And until next time, have a great day.